0: Welcome back, everyone, to another Black Create Connect podcast episode. You're here with your favorite host, okay? Alicia Latoya Richardson, the founder of Black Create Connect. And I'm here with the head of marketing and the internal co lead at 10,000 Back Interns, Toby Damiram. Please tell me I said it right. No, I said it wrong. I just yeah. said it right. Yeah. Before. <laughs> and I said it wrong. It's, yeah. it's my verbal dyslexia. What is going on? I'm I'm so sorry. She told me to do it again, like um, Dr. Shala said on the TV. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, even, I don't even want to put it. She did it properly as well. She was just like, You're going to say my name correctly. Sorry. The lady was like, I felt sorry for her because the spotlight yeah. came down and she was
0: like, She was embarrassed. yeah, yeah. yeah. She like, was sweating. You yeah. The it's thing true. is, it it's a weird one because sometimes I, I struggle with pronunciation sometimes. Mm. Mm. That's why I checked beforehand and I still got it wrong, weirdly enough. Um so I understand it and I don't think she meant any harm by it, but sure. I get why Dr. Shola emphasised breaking I it think, down. Do you know what? I
1: think I thought it was quite a powerful moment. Like it was a really simple thing. Mm. But there is there is something about a name, right? Mm-mm. Because it's it's not just a name, it's like connected to identity and heritage and the reason why she broke it down was like, you're not just gonna sweep away yeah. my identity. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Even though it was like, when I was watching it, it was uncomfortable, you know what I mean? Mad it was, uncomfortable, it was yeah. like, okay. But yeah, she's there to, to provoke the fires. She's there to, you know, to challenge these things, so.
0: Yeah, which is, and the thing is it's good and I admire her boldness because mm. people get my name wrong mm. every day. Yeah, sure. and, I, and I don't correct them. Sure. Like, I'll, I've gone through podcast episodes and people have said my name wrong the whole time. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I don't have a, like a level of attachment to it. Maybe because sure. I'm so used to it from young, the head yeah. teacher saying my name, say, calling me Alicia. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not my name. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think there is part of that as well. Because I can imagine she's been in situations where people have just said her name wrong and thought, oh yeah, that's fine, let's just yeah. move on. Yeah. But when you're on TV, and people are just saying it wrong, and she's known for standing up, speaking truth to power, right? So okay that was another moment for us to do that. But well, on that note, correction,
0: Tobi Demurian. Demurian. <laughs> Demurian. Demurian. Yeah. Demurian.
1: Demurian. You're putting an E in, Demurian. Where are you from? I'm Nigerian. It doesn't even sound Nigerian. No, it no. doesn't. No,
0: no, no, no. I'm, I'm trying to. No,
1: a lot of people are like, are you sure you know? Yeah, it's like, it, it sounds, I don't know, it sounds like it could be from like, a lot of people say it sounds like it could be Flemish. That's um, in Belgian Because there's a ah. lot of the mirror, yeah. But it's just, it's Yoruba.
0: Yeah. I was I was gonna ask what tribe are you? Yeah. Yoruba as well. Yeah. I thought, yeah. thought it would be one of the many like the houses or no. the deltas. <laughs> Why would you say that? <laughs> I don't know because I'm I'm so used to hearing um Yoruba names, like I feel mm. like I'm familiar with them. But mm. anyway, we can go on and on about this. Welcome. Thank you. And thank you for coming on today. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um so what I like to do with all of my guests here, because mm. we're basically strangers when we meet-ish, kind of, um, and I like to understand, for me and the listeners, a bit more about your background, your start out in life, like mm. how you got to where you are today. And of course, we'll talk about what you're doing today as well. Yeah. Are you comfortable with that?
2: Yeah, of
1: course.
0: Yeah? yeah? So from, start from wherever you want to start. Mm. Um, some people start from birth, some people start from 16. Just tell us a bit of a background on you. Yeah.
1: I think, where am I going to start? I think I won't start too too far back. I start when I was about it's so about fourteen. So I moved from Croydon.
0: Are you from Croydon? So my I. Are you from Croydon? Yeah, okay. where in Croydon okay. you from?
1: So we lived in uh, near New Eddington. Okay. Uh, and I went to Shirley High School. Okay. So just around that area, and then we moved to Maidstone when I was fourteen. Okay. So that was a culture shock from. South London to Maidstone, yeah, literally. And I live. It's next to this place called Thailand Barn. It's like there's a field, there's a, a barn, and it's it's places like. And the school that I went to, Maystone Grammar School, great school, but I was oh. the only I was the only black, black guy there out of like one thousand over a thousand pupils, uh, and that was a culture shock coming from Croydon, which mm-hmm. is very multicultural and very diverse.
2: Mm.
1: Um. Yeah, so I think that's where I'll start really. And I think, mm. you know, I got to that space. I remember being there and the first couple of weeks I wanted to go home. I just wanted to go back to Croydon. It was just, the spotlight was really on me because these, mm. these guys were like, you know, I was the first black guy there. So there, I was a celebrity in some senses. And I, was, I didn't, okay. you know, I didn't want to be a celebrity. So you get different types of like, um, I guess you get different types of, I don't even want to say racism, but there was there was a spotlight on me and it, it was quite uncomfortable because I just kind of wanted to just blend in and I kind of wanted to go under the radar, but there was none of that because... Um, and I think that was my... One of my first forays into a world that was... It was something that... I hadn't experienced before being the only black guy in the situation. I've been in situations where, and this is, the reason why I'm talking about it now is mm. it continues throughout my life, right? And that was the first time it happened. And for a lot of people, the first time it happens is when they first step into the working that was me, world, yeah. you know, and then they're like, oh, okay. And I'm, I'm the only black person on, you know, in the office or you know, whatever it is. So for me it happened really early. So, you know, I was 14
2: yeah.
1: um, and I had a chance to process and I had a chance to acclimatise and really understand. Uh, and there was a few things that I learned, and there's a few things that I had to kind of unpick, you know. So. Yeah.
0: So going back a little bit, Mm. why did your parents move, or your family? I'm guessing moved from Croydon to Maidstone. Did I explain that to you? In not in so
1: many words. I think one of them was more space. There's a lot of people that move from South London to Kent or Essex, or uh, because they want a bigger house and it's you know, it's a bit more space, safety as well. You know, like um, education was one. So like the part of Kent that I'm. I moved to. There was a number of like great grammar schools, and there were grammar schools in Croydon, but they were
0: rare and hard rare, to get into as well. Really hard to get into. Like the guy ones was Whitgift.
1: Yeah, but that's a private school.
0: And Wellington. Oh yeah, Wellington. So you though. still have
1: to pay. Yeah, Wellington's a grammar. Grammar. Yeah. But Whitgift, you still have to pay. Pay. Hey, yeah. And so, yeah. So I ended up going to you know one of the best schools in in Kent, and I didn't you know didn't have to pay any tuition. I just had to pass it entrance exam
2: mm.
1: um, so I think that was it was a combination of more space a quieter lifestyle mm. um, and then education was a big one obviously being Nigerian just that's education comes top high up on that on that list so um, I think that was one of those were the reasons really
0: so do you think that having that experience Mm. prepared you more for the real world. 100%.
1: That was, if I look back and I think of the most character-defining moment, it was then. Mm. Um, Because I I started to learn a few truths and I started to unpick some fallacies. So one of the the fallacies that I unpicked was, Mm. I remember getting there and thinking, okay, like, I'd come from a comprehensive in Croydon, always being like... You know, top set, but now I'm now I'm now moving into a grammar school. Mm. Um, lots of middle class white kids mm. that have either been in private tuition, and you know, I'm I, for me, I'm moving in. I'm I'm like, I'm dealing with the the creme de la creme of, of of uh English education, and I got there and I thought, you know what, these guys aren't as They're not as polished
0: as you think. They weren't what I thought. Yeah.
1: And it was a real shock to me because I thought I'd have to be studying twice as hard and doing and like, and just, and I was like, you guys are just going out to the cupboards and doing drugs and smoking. And I was like, at at that age, they were doing that. Yeah, 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 at that age. And then it, it just gave me another, I was like, right, okay, obviously. Like, you know, it's incredible school mm. and the people there are incredible. but it made, but I was thinking coming in that I would be a fish out of water and it wasn't the case at all. And so it gave me another perspective on um how you're perceived, right mm. and perception. and there is this perception that if you go to xY Z school and, you know, you live in X, Y, and Z
2: yeah.
1: house, or you're from a certain area. Um, as soon as I say Croydon, people are, you know, there's a whole yeah. list of Reception. different. perception. it's a whole yeah. list, right? But if I say, as soon as I said Maidstone Grammar School, the way people would treat me and talk to me was completely different. They're like, oh, you know. Did and you like so, it? did I like it?
0: Yeah, did you like people uh, treating you different to how they would treat you if you said you came from Croydon?
1: Depends, I think it depends on the context. Okay. Cause I think like certain times it's helpful, but certain other times what it helped me to do was understand who they were. So if they treated me in a particular way, because I said that, mm. then I understand the type of person that you are, right? Mm. You, you, you know, and um, there's certain types of people that, if you say that you're from a particular area, they will treat you differently. And so it allowed me to either keep my distance or get to know someone a, a bit better. Mm. But yeah, when I was at that school, it I think it taught me a lot about what it means to be a black person in, in white spaces. And, mm. um, you know, if, unfortunately as you go through life and, you know, you move into areas of, privilege and prestige, you face that. You face mm. what it feels like to be a black person in white spaces. And I had to learn not just how to be myself, acclimatize, adapt. I learned a lot about myself and a lot I learned a lot about the world, you know, um, at a really young age. Um, I was blessed that I had teachers that really believed in me. At the um, grammar school. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. You're
0: very blessed because the stories I hear for some of my friends' kids mm. about how they're treated differently from some sure. teachers and everything, sure. that's incredible. Why do you think they, they treated you so, with such kind? Were they black? Were they no. just kind? No, there
1: was no black teachers. <laughs> they
0: were all... No black teachers either.
1: I can't think of a single black teacher. No, they're all white. They're all male as well. No, there was, there was a couple. Oh. Okay, let's say there was 90% whiter men. Yeah. So it's, it's a boys' school, and it is okay. you know. And if you were a female teacher, it's tough. God, the boys don't treat you the same way. They they think they can take the mick a bit more. Um, so it's it was a it, you know, it, it might it might have changed now, but back then it was a tough environment. If you stood out in any particular way, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. So I learned a lot. Um, it was a real it shaped me because it I I needed to understand how to speak different languages and when I say that it's you know I'd come from Croydon mm. and people talk in a particular vernacular they you know they'll use different slang you know even the way you would approach someone you know there's a whole uh, social language when you're in particular spaces. And I had to learn that stuff. And I had to teach people as well. Um,
0: what is the social language? Just so that we can understand. What is that? If we go into it a little bit deeper. Because okay. we talk about this thing of code switching. Mm, and there's, mm. as someone that works in DEI, there's like this, this balance and battle between adapting and Mm -hmm. being agile, but Mm -hmm. then also, you know, companies or environments making Mm. sure they're accommodating for different types of styles. So what is this social language you're speaking about? Sure,
1: sure. I think every culture has different ways of doing things and they come through in very subtle, subversive different ways. Um, And so I had to learn that. I had to learn, you know, when, how to get my point across and for me it was about communication but also about perception so i had to pick unpick and consciously do so some of the perceptions they would have about a black kid that comes from Croydon who goes into a grammar school um and you know and you know some of that is switching up my vocabulary some of that is talking about things that they may not think that I would have any kind of volition to talk about or any previous knowledge. And so it was a constant process of switching on that aha to think, oh, okay. And, um, Mm. And I think it's something that, it's advice that I would give to black people going into those spaces because I think the tough part is you know, you don't want to lose yourself. You don't want to lose the essence of who you are. Um, and there is no but. At the same time, you want to be able to communicate clearly. And I think one of the problems is you can easily get misconstrued if um, if there is kind of like a... Um, People don't understand what you're saying and where you're and how you're saying it and where you're coming from. So, so that's one of the things I had to learn, right? And so, um, you know, I walk into all white spaces and feel incredibly comfortable, very comfortable, um, almost so comfortable that sometimes I need to remind myself that you know I am the only black guy in the room. Um, but if I don't remind myself, I I, I feel I feel fine about it. Um, it's, it's like, it's not even a thing. That wasn't always the case. The once upon a time, I'd walk into a room and think, oh. And because of that, it put me on edge, made me feel mm. defensive, made mm. me feel like I had to prove myself. Um, So it's a baptism of fire. It was a real mm. journey, all the way from overt racism, bullying, name calling. calling At the dudes, school? Yeah, yeah. Through to really you know what you would call microaggressions I guess um but learning how to you know learning how to navigate all that stuff at a time where you know you're the only one you're you're a kid essentially Mm. um it puts you in a really you know for me I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't do it differently it was tough Mm. but I wouldn't do it differently you know because um it set me up for success you know
0: what do you think education systems can do mm. to try to combat that experience for Black children or minorities, mm. or even anyone that is uh, another type of underrepresented group in those yeah. those places?
1: I spoke about my teachers and they were incredible. Mm. You know, I, I had one. I had an English teacher, Doctor Callahan, and uh, he wrote a letter to my parents. He wrote he handwritten letter. Mm. He was like, "This kid is special." Um, and he wrote out all the, ki- all the reasons why I'm special. Um, and I ended up winning an award that year for being uh, the brightest child when it came to English literature and the burn on people's faces. Because black kid from- Croydon. Then you're not supposed to win that award, right? So it just gave me tremendous confidence that's what it gave me it gave mm. me tremendous confidence and I think that's the thing is what the education system can do is mm. instill confidence in, in pupils you know instill confidence in the people coming up and also the people that feel marginalized because they need that confidence more mm. right because they're already on the back foot. So I got um, you know I used to get teachers coming up to me saying Toby how you doing? so proud of you.
0: That's so beautiful. Stuff like that. It was incredible. Yeah.
1: And um, it made me feel like, okay, I'm here. I can do this. And not even I can do this. It felt me. It made me feel like I'm one of the best.
0: I love that, you, you know? know?
1: And uh, it was precious. Like, even yeah. to this day, like, I tell people and they're like, wow. And, you know, my, I had teachers that used to speak up about racism. Teachers that had my back.
0: That's incredible. You know, back then as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Back then, teachers that had my back. Um, And I think that's the thing that it, you know, when you get into these type of environments, one of the things that you learn is, you learn that human beings, we have more similarities than differences. And, you know, I taught, you know, one of, you know, the teachers that had my back, they were white male in their 60s. And then they looked at me and they must've been like, this, this kid. He needs, he's going to need more public support mm. than other kids. Because I did face racism a lot, you know. How did you um, respond to
0: it as a child? Do you remember?
1: The mm. encouragement or the racism?
0: <clears throat> so the encouragement, I'm guessing, obviously mm. b- boosted your morale. But yeah, sure. the racism at the time, did you speak to your parents? Did you Did you argue back? Did you internalise it? Like, how did that impact you?
1: I think it depends on what it was. Like, okay. I... I I'm the type of person who likes to brush stuff off, as much as you know. As a as a kid, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I, it, it depends on what it was. If it was something that was what someone might say was racist banter, I got I, there was there were stages of my development. At yeah. first, I was just I was angry, and yeah. you know, and that was the that was the first stage. Yeah. Then I was like. I had to get to a point where me being angry actually wasn't helpful. Like it was, it was hurting me. It wasn't hurting the other person, mm. um, and so I think I learned how to deal with it and give banter back. You know what I mean? And I, I would so if someone would throw me a jibe, would throw them a jibe. Uh, you know what I mean? And it, and oh, wow. it was yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. and part of that was like okay, yeah. There was like a respecting. It was like, okay. It wasn't, because if someone knows I can say something to you and it's going to get to you, then they'll keep saying it. And they're in a position of power. But if someone knows they're going to say something to me, it's not going to hurt my feelings and I'm going to say something back. So like, okay, well, I'm going to leave that then. You know what I mean? Or, or it's like, um, this is an all boys school as well. So there's mm. a lot of power dynamics, right? And um, so it just meant that you know, if I'm, if you're looking at someone, I've thrown him a jibe, he gives it back to me, okay, we're in the same weight weight category. Like, mm. in, you know what I mean? And um, so yeah, I learned a lot about some of those interpersonal dynamics that you would never, you can't get this in a book. Like you, you would never be able to um, teach someone this through just purely cognitive or Mm. intellectually it's one of the things that you have to experience and um, I see a lot of people get into older in life and you know experience some of these things Um, and you know I feel like I've had a a whole lifetime worth of dealing with microaggressions and Mm. over you know and all the way through to publicly shouting that n-word through to the microaggressions you know so
0: I feel like microaggressions is one that a lot of people don't always know how to identify or right. address because I I remember f- um, facing microaggressions in the workplace and Saying to myself, Am I going mad? Is this yeah, like, yeah. like like, like a, little, yeah. a little bit of that? Yeah, like, i am I overthinking, or yeah. is this actually something? And yeah. it's not until you have conversations with other people and they're like, no, that's not cool. Like mm. that's it's not okay for them to touch your hair and say, True. it feels like a scouring pad. Like, or it's yeah. like that's it's, it's not okay for stuff yeah. like that to happen. Yeah. And the thing is, there was so, so when I had those conversations, I used to reflect back, I started to think back to other things. I'm like that wow, I've just been, I didn't even know what was happening. Yeah. So when did you even recognise? Because as a, as a child, I'm sure you didn't always recognise straight away. So when did you realise that is a microaggression?
1: I, that, I think that word wasn't even like a, a thing, thing back yeah. then. But that being said, it wasn't even that I recognised. Everyone recognised, right? Everyone right. knew. I remember there was one time I was, uh, it was sports day and one of the teachers was like, oh yeah, yeah, Toby, you should go up in front. He's He's so fast. I'd never seen me run
2: before. <laughs> this guy had
1: never, not once ever seen me run before. And every, all of my friends were like, has that guy seen you? They were like, this guy had never seen you run. Sorry. And so... So silly. It wasn't like I was the only one that had faced them. Everyone saw it. Yeah. Everyone could see it. Yeah. And And that's the thing. It's like, sometimes it feels like these microaggressions are stuff that only black people or you know people of color can see, but everyone can see it.
0: Mm, mm. You go up and, you don't
1: normally go up and put, run your fingers through someone's hair. That's weird. Mm,
0: that's so, sh- or Do you what I mean? that your hair's changed on a, yeah. a call with
1: loads of people. People know, people <laughs> know this is not the done thing, right? Yeah. But because of X, Y, and Z circumstances, they feel like, they feel uh, empowered. Yeah. They feel empowered that they can say what they want or do what they want, and the repercussions are going to be minimal. Yeah. So, yeah, we know these things. You know what I mean? Like we know um, the do's and the don'ts. You just, you know, sprinkle a little bit of common sense before you before you say or do something. You know.
0: Well, the thing is, we so we you're saying that everyone does know. For mm. non-black people that are listening and watching, mm-hmm. is there anything that you could advise for them? Because sometimes. Mm. So I, I try to go with the perspective that not everyone is always coming from a bad place. It's just a place of lack of understanding or of ignorance. ignorance. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so is there anything that you can advise or say to anyone that is non-black, but they're trying to learn more about how to work better with black professionals?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing is, if it feels like what you're saying is a bit, oh, maybe I should say that, stop mm. and just... That's it. Have a think. Yeah, yeah. Have a think before you say it. And I think, and we all know what those things are, mm. right? There's certain things that we know. all. maybe I'm going into murky waters, right? So just have a stop, have a think, mm. reflect, and then... If you feel like this is something you should say, mm. then. But also gauge the relationship as well. Hundred, right? yeah. You know, like gauge the relationship. If you've got a really strong relationship with someone and you say something out of turn, that person already knows that the intent wasn't malicious. The you know, and they and you can have a conversation about it. Hey, when you know, Sandra, when you said this about me, I really didn't like it. Or when you mm. did this, I don't. I didn't like the way it made me feel. If you have no relationship with someone and you're just saying something, then, you know, you, you know, and and this is all common sense. Like mm. this is this is the thing that that I don't like is like, you know, teaching white people have, how to have common sense. Like this is,
0: yeah, just just use your, you, use yeah. your yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, no, no, you, no, you know what it, I mean. It, 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 it's so true. Like, why, why should I have
1: to educate you on yeah. stuff that this is this is common sense? Like yeah. I know when I'm going to if I was going to another culture. I would know. <laughs> I would know what to say, yeah. how to do things, and if I don't know, stop, reflect, maybe ask, build relationships. You know, this is, it's not rocket science. Yeah, and I think sometimes we we give excuses for stuff like this, like, "Oh, yeah, well they didn't know," and you mm. know, it's it's not rocket science. Mm. And uh, the the reason why people uh, can malaise in their ignorance is because of systemic racism, right? The, the, there's no, there's there, there's no incentive for them to to sharpen up
0: exactly, and that's exactly what I was thinking. I think that throughout my career, as I've progressed into more of senior position, I notice um, non blacks be more careful how they approach me, mm. and I think it's about how the level of respect that they have for you. Sure. So, so they think, what have I got to lose, or what what relationship can I can I damage? Is it worth maintaining this? So actually, now I find that I have way more people, and it might be because I'm in di. They say, um, I just want to be careful, like, whilst I'm saying this or whatever. Mm. And you know what? Be careful. Continue to <laughs> be careful. Like, I'll you be, be careful and ask me that so I can... Because even... I remember when um, everything happened um, with Black Lives Matter and sure. George Floyd yeah. and one of my colleagues called me up and she was like, okay, so I don't want you to get offended, mm. but um, I just... Can you just explain to me what, like, the history of black people <laughs> like? And, like, what I know your face is <laughs> like. She, she didn't... I know, and I, I was like, Jen, babes. I was like, sorry, I shouldn't have said... Do you know what? It's fine. I'm open with this. There could, could be loads of jens. But I said, babes. And I I spent three hours on the phone with her, talking to her. <laughs>
2: You're You're I know,
0: I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But she was... She was she, and she literally said to me, I haven't interacted with black people or had an interest or understood. She but she was honest with me, but but, because because I went, I went, I grew up in a white area, she grew up in Kent as well. Like she was like, I only started interacting with them in the workplace. So I all of this I don't understand. Mm. So it's whereas she could have decided just not to care and be like, oh whatever. But I think because she had a certain level of respect, she thought, let me call her and ask her. And it's mad uncomfortable, don't Mm. get me wrong. But, sure. yeah, I think people, to, to kind of respond to what you're saying, it depends on the level of respect that they have for you. So, with that being said, I mean, I want to get onto your career progression because mm. you've, you've progressed to be in such a great position. And we're going to talk sure. about your awards. Sure. Go for your, you know, you've been nominated for the finalist for an award and everything. But um, talk to us about your career progression. How did mm. you get to where you are today and kind of earn the level of respect you have? Give us some gems.
2: Yeah,
1: sure. Um... I think my my first foray into marketing was, one of my friends that I knew, I knew from uh, from church. And he was like, do you know what, I want to, I wanna bring you into my marketing agency. It's a creative agency. Mm. And um, the first thing was like, I really want someone to help build, grow, grow the client base. Win business, really, you know, business development focused. Mm. Um, and I'd come from, you know, once I graduated, I went into sales, and that was, and so I felt comfortable in the area of pitching, winning business, you know, even cold, call, you know, cold calling, prospecting, all the way. Mm. Um,
0: for for what type of businesses out of interest?
1: Did I start off in sales? Yeah, uh, telecoms. Um, you know, one of the things that I first did when I left. So I went to, we've, we've skipped a few things, but I went to Birmingham University.
0: Birmingham City or Birmingham?
1: University of Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I lived in Birmingham for a few years and I studied biology, human biology, but I hated science. That's a strong word. I hated <laughs> science. As a ro- so I liked it. I didn't want a career in it.
0: Why did you study it?
1: there we go so (laughs) when I was what's it GCSE A level age the problem that I had was
2: Mm.
1: I was (laughs) I had pretty strong grades across the board right and so I didn't know what I wanted to do I just was clueless absolutely clueless I didn't have any passions I didn't I knew what I liked Mm. but when you're a Nigerian firstborn son you don't you don't you don't do what you like right but go and, if i go and say ah, oh, you know i really love poetry i am i'm, I'm going to have to find a new house you know so that's so i didn't i honestly did not have a clue right so i you know i did my a levels and i trust. i did english lit i did maths i did science mainly cuz i i was like i don't want to close any door and and then i guess that's another thing about our education system is like getting people to think when you're at the age of 16 17 what do I want to do you, you I didn't even, I, don't know. I didn't even know advertising existed as a career yeah. you know so um so yeah so I did science because it felt like and you know I had a number of social pressures
2: mm.
1: around this is this is what you should do you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah i got to university and i was like no nah, i'm not doing this I, that, but you, you
0: completed it though.
1: I did, but I, I as soon as I got out, I'm like, that's no. it. No, no, you know. And I used to write for the university paper. I got a lot of love from that and I got a lot of enjoyment for that. I was one of the editors uh, for the university paper, The Red Brick, and I got involved with student newspapers and mm. setting up a student newspaper. Mm. So there's a, that kind of entrepreneurial aspect. So I kind of knew when I got out, I want to sharpen some of these entrepreneurial skills. So that's Mm. how I got into sales and business development. I thought this this is an essential skill to have. Mm. Um, So fast forward, I got into this agency and it was my first foray into the world of marketing per se. And um, I loved it. Like I loved the idea of pitching. Like in, it's one of those things at school. You you know you're asked to like brainstorm and come up with ideas, mm. but you don't think that that could actually be a career. And you know I remember some of some of the moments I remember today. Like even like walking into the Warner Brothers office, we had a we had a uh, Warner Brothers got in touch with us and they were like, oh we've got this new up and coming artist, her new album's coming out. We need For LinkedIn. Oh no, this was when I was at the Creative oh, Agency. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, when I was at the Creative Agency. Um new albums coming out, we need some clever ideas for how to promote it. Um it was Dua Lipa. And I remember going down oh. to Yeah, yeah. So she was she was pretty she wasn't she wasn't well known at the time. Mm. And um, you know, going down to the Warner Brothers office and like coming up with some cool ideas and clever pictures, and I was like, wow, if this is what the world of marketing is like, where it's like really creative and strategic, um, and I felt like it was unlocking gifts and talents that mm. you know that were uh, somewhat unused or dormant within me. So, mm-hmm. um, so I loved it, and you know I started to do more of the actual marketing um, aspect. But then I got to a point where I was at that it was an independent creative agency and. Um, for my role now, I work with agencies, you know, across the board from mm. the large holding companies that have thousands and thousands of people, down to you know independent agencies. And you know, I got a real love for the boutique creative independent agencies. Why? Guy, um, because it felt very anti corporate, and it felt like it was like you know, the rule breakers and it could think differently and the way we used to approach things was a little mm. different. Um, and it's still something that I, I try and, and bring into what I do right now. Mm. That kind of punk aspect of like, um, this is the way things have done. However, let's do things differently. And I love that about, and I think it's one of the reasons why people get into marketing is because, you know, they, they don't want to wear a suit and tie and they They kind of, they wanna be expressive and they want to, and you know, you see it at Cannes, you know, we're gonna come Mm. up and talk about Cannes, but Mm. you know, um, it's a place where that kind of intellectual and creative playground, you wanna keep that flowing and you don't want that to be stifled by red tape and bureaucracy and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so that's why I got a lot of love for creativity, for the industry, for marketing. And
0: then, mm. so with your experience in marketing right sure what's been some of the standout because i understand that you have a love for it but i feel like there's so many different strands to marketing that mm. some people don't understand like sure. there's a little bit of pr there's sure. digital there's because I, I recruited in marketing that's how kind of ish beginning of my career mm. so i know there's loads of different strands to it sure. so break down the area that you really specialized in and mm. one of the best campaigns that you can think of that you worked on. I know that might be so hard to think of, but one of sure. the best and why?
1: Wow, yeah, it's a lot there. Um so so breaking down the um the different areas of marketing like oh, specialise. Oh. So I it's a good question. I think for me, the area that I specialise and really got a love for early oh. was strategy. Oh. And I think that was because I was coming at it from a biz dev angle. And when you're coming at it from that angle, you have to think about strategy. Like you have to think about, understand the business. I had to understand business more broadly in terms of um, different verticals, how different verticals operated, the, um, the different things that you would do from a marketing perspective within mm. that vertical. So mm. strategy and, and it, it's odd because it's one of the things that if you're new in marketing or you're coming up in marketing, it's probably one of the things that you don't have that much exposure to Mm. because of the types of work that you're doing. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love um, being at like a small agency is because you get thrust into places that you possibly wouldn't be in before, right? What do you mean? When you're in a small agency, like, there's not that many hands, right? And so you get into client pitches that if you're in a, a much bigger agency, someone with 10 years more experience will be doing that pitch or will be leading it. Mm-hmm. But because it's all hands on deck, you might have had very little experience, but you get thrust into, you know, doing big pitches, like, you know, right. L'Oreal calls you up and then you're leading the pitch. Got you, yeah. Uh, and and you, ha- you're you know and you know big big companies call you up and and you're having to lead. Okay, the strategy mm. and you know once you win the business, lead like how are we gonna grow this account and all that stuff. So, um, so that was my first foray and I think the thing about that and it was a creative digital agency, so it was a, had a very strong slant towards digital and okay, I th- you know so. Mm. Learn a lot about SEO, pay per click. You know some of the things that are kind of, they're well established in the marketing world now, um, but future facing. So, okay. marketing's always evolving, and the way that we reach customers is always evolving because our customers are in different places. You know, um, you know back then Facebook was, you know, it was it's huge, and obviously, you know. It's meta now, um, but if you want to reach a, a particular demographic, mm. you probably won't go to Facebook now. Mm. You will go to, you might go to Instagram, or you go to TikTok, or you will go, to, you know, go somewhere else. So it's an ever-evolving, it's an ever-evolving discipline, and I think I, I really enjoyed that. So there was a second part of your question. I've completely forgot. Campaign.
0: So it's one of the most memorable, memorable or, or or standout campaigns you have worked on, and why.
1: Um, it's a really tough one. Um,
0: or impactful.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go to something recent, actually. And mm. the reason for it is because, again, I love that kind of moving into new territory. So we, mm. I, I, I did a campaign last year. It was all about reimagining creativity in the B2B space. And we ended up doing an event at the Tate Modern. Um, we had... The kind of top floor of the Tate Modern, we invited loads of creative directors to come in, mm. um, and there's a number of different strands throughout it. So w- one of the the artists that we profiled was an artist called Lubaina, uh, Himid, who's a black artist, um, and we took people through to see her exhibition, and it was all about around creativity and B two B space, and you know, a black artist at the Tate Modern and B2B marketing are two things that you wouldn't normally- Put together, yeah. You know, and and I think that's, the reason why I love that is because challenging people's perceptions and challenging people to think differently, mm. um, it's a big part of what makes great marketing, you know, is um, unpicking, you know, different tropes and dogmas and doctrines of how things should be done. Mm. And... Fusing worlds together that wouldn't not necessarily normally go together, and I felt yeah. you know incredibly proud to be sitting. Um, you know, we had the the most premium space within one of the most iconic art galleries in the world, mm. um, celebrating a black woman artist, um, and then celebrating creativity within that. Um, so yeah, there's a few there's a few campaigns that. Yeah, that that come close as well. But that that was a big one for me.
0: That's dope, by the way. I love the fact that that you bought in, you found a way to still bring in you know, black artists into something, because I I wouldn't put in the two. Out of interest, because I I, I like to ask questions that people might be thinking, Mm. what was the benefit to B2B businesses or to, was it with LinkedIn?
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, essentially, so my my role right now is Mm. um, head of advocacy marketing so yeah. you know the way i would boil that down is within the ad agencies winning hearts and minds so that they really think you know when a campaign come when a brief comes in linkedin is the first place that we go to and so with that campaign it was to really think about broadening what uh how people think about creativity mm. how people think about marketing within the b2 b space mm. so for someone who's not okay with b2 b it can be very rational very pragmatic in and in, in almost the marketing is an extent, an extension of sales in a very um i don't want to say scientific but there's a, there's a lack of there can be a lack of emotion and creativity and just off-the-wall thinking because of the way, and a lot of that is to do with how things are measured. B2B, like if you're in the B2C space, when you're marketing, mm-hmm. you're directly responsible for sales. And in the B in the 2 c space. But in the B2B space, you've got a sales team and you know, so there's there's a whole slew of different dynamics mm. that mean that B2B marketing is, lar- you know, has been seen as being largely rational and uncreative. And, you know, one of the things that we're looking to do at LinkedIn, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, banging that drum as well is, you know, B2B doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be rational. It doesn't have to be a PDF that you download and then, you know, it's gated content and then Mm. you capture leads and then the sales team follow up on those leads. No, you know, it can be, um, and the best B2B marketing is actually, uh, the stuff that, that gets people to, to think about you and that you're remembered and, you know, shout out to the B2B Institute, that you're remembered in buying situations, right? And Mm. it, it, it doesn't have to be, um, uh, what it what it has traditionally been, and there's a number of reasons why it has traditionally been that way, because of um, attribution and all these different things. And we can kind of geek out into into those different spaces. But I could talk more about that. Or mm.
0: you know. no, the thing is, what what you're explaining about what you do, there's so many. Questions, suggestions, everything coming up in my mind at once. So I'm trying mm. to collate them in my my mad mind and put them together. <laughs> put them together. So sure. with so just to understand. So what with what you do, mm. the difference between advocacy marketing mm. and normal marketing for those that don't know, or not mm. even normal marketing, just mm. all the other areas of marketing. Yeah. Is it mainly about trying to be different with how you approach marketing? B two B marketing. Is that the main?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. So I, I probably should have explained that. It's all
0: more. right. No worries.
1: So. In advertising space, you've got, the client will have a budget and they're thinking about how do I spend this budget to you know maxim, to hit X, Y, and Z goal? In the space that we're in, they'll typically work with, not always, but they'll typically work with an agency to say, okay, how do I spend this budget? Let's say I've got a million dollars and right. I want to spend it. Um, and then the agency will say, okay, what are your goals? And you say, oh, uh, you know, I want to increase brand awareness. And they say, okay, they'll build out the campaign mm. and this is, you know, this is what a campaign will look like. We might put in some influencers. We might do some stuff. Mm. This is the channels that should go on. We'll put a little bit on out of home. We'll put a little bit on Instagram. We'll put some on Google, we'll put some on YouTube. We might put some on LinkedIn. We might put some on TikTok. Uh, might do a TV. We might put some on TV. So, mm the agency and the client will work hand in hand uh, but depending on the relationship some agencies have you know much more of a say some clients have much more of a say so different mm. there's different agency client d- dynamics mm-hmm. but my job is to really influence the agency
0: to spend with linkedin exactly oh, so if I you see. were if you were
1: spending t- you know 500 grand on LinkedIn, Mm. to influence them to say, if we've got an extra 500 grand, let's put it on LinkedIn rather than Snapchat.
0: Right, I see, I see, I see. Instagram,
1: YouTube. And that's my job really, to to, to make sure the agencies understand LinkedIn, that they are aware of where our sweet spot is. Mm. And so that when opportunities come out, they're like, yep, this is the best platform to to do that.
0: Right, Um, I see.
1: And yeah, so that's why you know, a lot of my job is, because people already, when you think LinkedIn, people already know, they've already got in their head what it is, right? And, you know, there's certain things that they associate with LinkedIn, there's certain things that they don't associate with LinkedIn. Mm. So, you know, for my job, it's really to unpick some, maybe some of those fallacies Mm. um, and to to really push forward, like this is what the platform is. This is what the platform can be. Um, and, you know, over the past few years, I think particularly from COVID onwards, I've mm. seen people just really explode on LinkedIn, like using it and people coming up to well, me. Individuals say, or businesses? Both. All right. You know, in, you know and I think there's, there is a synergy between the two is, is seeing the platform differently. Mm. I used to see LinkedIn as just a jobs board and, you know, that mm. was it. Now they're posting content on LinkedIn and, you know, people are coming up to me and saying LinkedIn is like, the channel that I use the most for my business. And I'm like, that's Same, great. To be fair. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh and that's great, you know. So um getting the agencies to really think about LinkedIn in new, fresh, dynamic ways. That's
0: my job. So would you work with companies or no, not companies, only agencies. So if a companies said that they want to find a way to utilize their their ad spend on LinkedIn yep. and they don't work with agency would you help them? It,
1: I wouldn't be the I wouldn't be the, the person. Okay. I would direct them to someone else right
0: I see I yeah, see yeah. okay so
1: there'd be other people within our team that would that would do that, okay, but my specialism right now is on the agency agencies, board. yeah,
0: okay, yeah. that makes complete sense. well, as you are kind of not kind of you might be like an expert on LinkedIn, how can people leverage their platforms on LinkedIn in the mm. most effective ways from a personal branding because that's like yeah. a big topic as well it now is, so yeah, 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 how it can? Is what what are some of the authentic ways to do it because i also mm. one of the things that um i get asked a lot so i, I ran a session on thursday with my colleagues about personal branding in linkedin and, and whatever and a mm. lot of them were like Ah, uh, i don't i don't know what to say on linkedin yeah, or sure. like you know sure. i don't want to brag or yeah, i don't so yeah, yeah, sure. what what have you seen work really well
1: it's a really good question i think what i would do and I... This is this is like my starting point is get back to the basics of like your brand. That's where I would start. I would start from brand first. Mm. And the reason why I say brand is because you have to see yourself as a brand. Mm. And it's called personal branding for a, uh-huh. for a reason, right? So get back to your brand. Like what are your values? Mm. What, you know, what do you care about? What are your passions? What do you, you know, what are your do's and don'ts? What makes you tick? All of that stuff. I would start there before you even think about the different tactics, or like, you know, so many people come back, talk to me about how do you game the algorithm and stuff like that. So just start start with brand first. Start, mm. with, start with your values first. Mm. Once you've got that crystallized, mm. then there's a number of different tactics that you can use. So then the first place I would start is your profile, right? It's the same as a website. If you're doing all of this great marketing, people come on your website and it looks like trash, You're not selling anything, right? So start with your profile. Make Mm. sure your profile is up to date. Make sure it looks good. Make sure it's clean and people understand it. Um, And then after the profile, it's then how do we feed the content engine? And then that's why I say come back to values. Okay. Because once you've got your brand and your values, you can easily start to say, okay, This is what my tone of voice should be. Got you. eh? This is the type of things that I should talk about. You know, am I going to go, you know, so people ask, I don't want to brag. Okay, you don't need to brag. You know, it comes back to actually what do you want to talk about and who are you as a person? Um, So the things that I've seen work the best are authenticity. You know, people who are the most authentic. And again, it's because they've got the first part right of the brand. They understand who they are. They understand what they say and what they don't say and Mm. how they talk and how they don't talk. And so people connect with them because it feels Mm. real. Um, People connect to authenticity. Mm. Um, And also their content is consistent because Mm. it's not this one day and then this another day. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then this is, it's consistent, right? You know, so it's all about those fundamentals. Everything else from that, whether you use video or you use audio or you use that's all by the by but mm. you get those fundamental things right you'll be good
0: that's fantastic because that's similar to the advice that I gave so team okay. that's fantastic yeah, yeah. And, the, and and the thing is as well actually I, I what I did say to add on to that mm. is you have to get comfortable with everyone not liking you mm. or everyone not not feeling your content of because that's something that I was I'm i am one point very nervous about like oh what if i'm my heart's too on my you know too on Mm -hmm. my sleeve or Mm -hmm. i'm too open Mm -hmm. or i'm like but that's how i am though i'm i'm very warm i'm very you know lovey dovey and so that if that shines through it shines through for that naked then do you (laughs) you know what i mean it's the
1: same with this podcast right it's the same with if you were gonna do it on youtube you look at the comments there would be some people that like some people that don't and it's the same in linkedin
0: if it is what it is. 100%. So, um, I want to get on to this recent award that you've been nominated mm. for a finalist for. Tell us about it. Tell us about how it came about, how you're feeling as well. Just give us a...
1: Yeah, I've had a few people ask me how I'm feeling. I think it still hasn't really sunk in. Um, it's surreal. You see your name in Daily, in the national press, and, uh, the Daily Telegraph, and, you know, you're... You know, you know, up for a finalist for rising star in arts and media Um, hasn't sunk in yet. But it's, um, I think for me, I'm passionate about seeing underrepresented groups. Yeah. If we double click on that, specifically black people. Yeah. Spotlighted, encouraged, because I know how powerful it is. Like I said, I I go back to when I was 14 and I was spotlighted encouraged and I felt Mm. like, I honestly felt like there was nothing I couldn't do in the world. And that's how people should feel. Yes. And and it's unfortunately, Mm. it's not how a lot of black people feel in the workplace. Mm. They do feel like there's a glass ceiling Mm. and they do feel like there's bureaucracy and politics that is working against them and systemic um, problems and institutional um, biases that are working against them. So. Anything that shines a light, empowers, encourages uh, black people, I'm all for it, 100%. I was speaking to Sophie. So uh, she started uh, the Black British Business Awards 10 years ago. And she was talking about how she had to hustle. Like going, like, I don't know if she was literally knocking on door to door, but I, Probably. she might have been, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then back then, they're like, black, why are we going to? <laughs> what 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 is this about um and to see where it's gone from from then to now I think it's incredible so anything you know I'm all for it if you're looking to spotlight to shine a light and I you know I, I was at the um, the finalist reception dinner two night two days ago two days ago and mm. and um the talent in the room the stories in the room, Exceptional, you know, and um, one of the things I love the most about this is, and it's something that I've seen more and more coming Mm. out off the back of George Floyd and, Mm. you know, is Mm. I've been connected to black community in a way that I have never seen before in my career, in my life. Mm. Like I'm part of so many communities now and I think it's so beautiful. Because there's such a power and a strength in community, mm. and for whatever reason, community hasn't been a top thing in the black. You know, people talk about crabs in a crabs in a barrel, or mm. you know, and people talk about you know, the only black in the village, You're like that black person that's in that space, and they don't want anyone else to come in. Mm. Um, and hopefully, we're moving past that now. Where we're in that space where, you know, I'm there and I'm rooting for everyone else in there. And I genuinely mean that Mm. because the people that understand how this works is individuals don't win. We only win. No,
0: we do not. And we all win. We do not, you know, and yeah.
1: uh, the more that we can say that there's a number, the number of things that I'm involved with. Black at Can is another one that I had the pleasure of working with those guys, had the pleasure of working with ten thousand black interns, and you know, leading the relationship, uh, being one of the the leaders in the in the in the relationship between LinkedIn and and that charity. So anything that works to kind of uphold, to encourage, mm. to affirm, um, yeah, I'm all for it.
0: Talk to us a bit more about Black at Cannes as well. I know you mm. said you went last year. I miss you this year. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I couldn't make it this year. But I went like... <laughs> so I met those guys last year and it was crazy how I met them. So I was I was queuing up for my pass mm. and a lady tapped me on the shoulder. She was like, American voice, right? You, you go to Cannes, you hear a lot of Americans, yeah. right? And... Uh, <laughs> She tapped me on the shoulder. She was like, "Hey, you're black."
0: Yeah, that's 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 what they like. That's happened to me. Hey, black people. That's what yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I love like, it. Hey, you're black. I
1: was like, "Yes, <laughs> <"This>, yeah,
0: yeah." <laughs> doesn't,
1: you know, it does not happen in London. I love
0: Americans. Yeah, so like, yeah,
1: hey, you're black. We're going on a yacht party. Come, and I was like, <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> so, and that's how I got to, and then you know, got to meet some of those guys. And yeah, it was incredible it was incredible the energy um they're really amazing you know I think seeing more black people at can mm. and uh you know it's something that I can get on board with so just mm. from from the get-go there was a synergy and you know um I love the Can Lions festival and I, I think again it's a place where, Creativity is celebrated. Yeah. But, you know, historically, it, you know, it it can feel quite elitist, you know, and it can, and and in in a lot of senses, Mm. it is elitist. It does
0: feel like that, yeah. You know,
1: so, you know, when I was working with, so Peter, the CEO and the founder. Of LinkedIn? Of of Black at Cannes. Black at Cannes, okay. So we met at Cannes and... Yeah, we were just kind of just chewing the fat and saying, you know, love to work with you, love to do some more stuff. with mm. you. We ended up doing an event in London.
2: Mm.
1: Um, so the Black it Can group, they did uh, a world tour. They're coming to London. Peter text called me at a crazy time. <laughs> He's like, Toby, we want to do this thing in London. Can we do it?
0: What, like an event?
1: Yeah, an event. Oh, wicked. Just so Black It Can, Times LinkedIn. At our office. We did it at the LinkedIn office in Farrington. Okay. Uh and it was great. And and I was like, I was calling all the the black influences in the UK that I know. I was like, come that come through, we're gonna do this thing. Mm. We've got people flying in from New York and, and and um again what I love about that is is that community aspect, right? Mm. Because we're in that room and it doesn't matter whether you live in New York or you're from London or you're from Sao Paulo or you're mm. from Paris. We're all black people from the African diaspora, just all there making things happen.
2: Mm. You know, shaking
1: things up in our industry. Um, yeah, so yes. So we're still doing some stuff with those Black, with black at Cannes. We had the pleasure of doing um, mm. stuff with them out at Cannes this year as well. I just uh, couldn't make it, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> what what can we kind of expect from Black at Cannes? I mean, you may not know the ins and outs, but, mm. what, but what can we expect for future, whether it's based in London or mm. back in Can next year? What are some things? So
1: from Peter and Lydia, I know they're not stopping. So Lydia leads... Black at can in the UK. I met her. You yes. met Lydia. Uh,
0: yeah, at um, a campaign um, awesome. party. Awesome. It was Shelley that introduced me to her from the okay. UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, she literally, because she was like, she likes your outfit, so I was like, oh hey. That. And then I was like, oh my goodness, like you do black at can, and then sure. yeah, but yeah. Go
2: yeah,
1: on. so the, it's gonna keep growing. Yeah, and it's gonna and and you know, for me as much, as much as I can support and uphold and spotlight, I'll do as much as I as I physically and possibly can. Yeah. So. If, it's, it's going to keep growing, you know. The, the, they made, they've made waves and they're going to mm. continue to make waves. And even outside of that mm. organisation, there's a number of black organisations in the space. Obviously, you know, um Oh, um, yeah. And the Black British uh, network. network. Yeah. Um, there's other kind of black organisations that are making waves in that space. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I love to see it, yeah. I really love to see it. Honestly, it's, you know, it's it's a unique space, and um, the Can Lines Festival, you know, it's it's one of the it's one of the in in the creative advertising it's industry. It's one of the best ones that you yeah. can go to. So
0: it's fantastic. I literally had a recap episode that come up. We'll come out in a couple of weeks with okay. some people that I went to CAN with okay. um, in the same space, and it was just such an amazing recap like, yeah. just reminiscing about the, the, the parties, the networking, the outfits. Yeah. The like, there, there's so many it's a aspects, yeah. And it should be. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I actually had a dream about it this week as well. Like, it's just, no. I'm just, I keep free living it and yeah. thinking, how can I make sure more community members get mm. there? Because a lot of people from like, even my like, Black Great Black, Connect, they don't know about what, what is CAN, mm. like, what does it mean? what does it sure. do for me and sure. the impact it's had on me I, I've only been back for three weeks mm. it's had such an impact on just conversations in person meetings with yeah. new clients and yeah. prospects people yeah. want to have a conversation because I was there 100%. like it's so there's so much to it and yeah. I feel like as a community let's mm. bring each other in more so we can that. experience it and grow you yeah, know so I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what else you do with it, how else okay. you grow. What I do want to know is what, what gaps um, need filling. I always like to find out from people, mm. um, where, where do you need, for anyone listening, mm. what's helpful for you to partner up with? What's helpful for you to, what are you open to people connecting with you on? Because you're probably going to get people connecting with you after this. So what's, sure. what's useful for you?
1: Yeah, I think having a clear purpose of what you want to achieve. Okay. Because for, for me, again, If you've been listening to this podcast, you know what I'm about. You Mm. know what my values are. You know what I love to Mm, see. mm, mm. I love creativity. I love Mm. um, empowering underrepresented groups. So if you've got a clear purpose of this is what I'm doing. This Mm. is what I want to achieve. Would love to see if you if we can partner or help or do something. Mm. Um, then I'm open to those conversations. Doesn't mm. necessarily mean I'm going to be able to do all of them, mm. but you know, I'll definitely have a conversation.
0: Yeah, that's really beautiful tonight. At least yeah. people can know to have the courage to approach you about something, anyway, 100%, which is yeah. great.
2: Please um, do.
0: And um, mm. ten thousand black interns. I know yes. that. Where I know you're f- running for time, but I just want to for people that don't know what ten thousand black interns is. Mm. Um, I had a brief encounter with them when I said I was working at Engine, um, in regards to getting interns in. But mm. what's your experience working with them? What do you yeah,
1: do? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we have the pleasure of supporting ten thousand black interns um, at LinkedIn. It's very much so. LinkedIn's mission is. To um, I need to get this right. <laughs> it is to uh, create economic opportunity for every member of the workforce, mm. and so that every member part is really important, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about interns and black interns specifically, we need to make sure that black interns are getting represented in the in the top country, um, mm. top companies in in the, in the UK. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I've had the pleasure of working with LinkedIn. Mm. bridging the gap between LinkedIn and, and that charity organization doing mm. events doing uh coaching sessions you know supporting those guys mm. uh, and I think it's a tremendous organization you yeah. know they um I think they've now rebranded to be the I think it's 10,000 interns foundation but um you know they've got a real passion to make Systemic change, you know, mm-hmm. and I've got friends of mine that I've seen that have gone through that are now at like uh, Procter Gamble and they're yeah. you know they're, they're doing things and they would never have got it if they didn't go through the 10,000 Black Interns yeah. program, yeah. Um, yeah, and so it's powerful again, something that came off the back, um, you know, 2020 saying how you know a few people that have very senior positions and positions of power mm. saying how can we make a difference um
2: yeah.
1: and you know the ripple effect of that has been tremendous so it's been a real pleasure for me to you know to work with uh you know rebecca and the team there at yeah. 10,000 black interns um again another company that's i can see doing bigger and better things from from year on you know so
0: I love that, honestly. Well, shout out 10,000 like interns as well. Um, and also, mm. I just want to say thank you as well for coming on again today. Yeah. Huge congrats on your success. Thank you. Like, regardless, it's an achievement to be awarded as a finalist <laughs> anyway. You. So keep doing the work you're doing. I love to see this. Like, this makes my heart. When I talk about fulfillment, mm. alignment, this makes my heart warm. Mm-hmm. Um As some kind of closing words, is there any, for black professionals looking to really progress in their career and really gain that seniority of respect, is there any final words of encouragement, advice that you would like to leave them with? Yeah. Um,
1: Know that you are special. That's the first thing I would say, know that you're special. When When you work and you walk into the rooms and you're in those places and you're in those uncomfortable spaces, know that you're special and you deserve to be there. You haven't won the lottery. Mm. You deserve to be in those spaces. Mm. That's the first thing I would say. Uh, The second thing is you're not an island. And I think it's so important, particularly in the space of like, it can be exhausting, you know, the Mm. amount of people that face burnout and mental health issues. And, Mm. you know, there's that whole dogma of black people need to work twice as hard. And Mm. you've got twice as much that you're facing against an institutional bias and mm. you know you you can't don't be an island in those situations mm. you know can if there are networks in your industry if there are ERG groups connect with people build mm. relationships you know and that goes back back to uh, I'll say two more things so so don't be an island the second thing is build your brand right so mm. the the higher up you go the more how do people perceive you right mm. because the, your career is going to be determined by people. You might not be in the same room. A lot of the time, you're not in the same room as the people making decisions, right? So what they're going to go on is your reputation, your brand. Mm-hmm. When we speak about this person, who is he? Like, what type of person is he? Um, Does he have the skill set? So a lot of that is building a brand and telling people what you want them to hear about you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So not them filling in the blanks or having assumptions. You say, no, this is who I am. Mm. This is where I'm going. Um, So build that brand. And then I'll say the last thing is um, network with intent. So, so, you know, some people have like a a spray and pray attitude when it comes to networking. I'm going to collect as many business cards and just, it's not that, right? It's, Mm. it's, It's building authentic relationships and you know that. And mm. you know, you you, know, you when you build authentic relationships where there's reciprocity, you know, it's not just one sided, it's not just take, there's give as well. Um, you look at different ways to partner, you look at different ways to help um, and keep doing that and be intentional and strategic about the relationships that you build when you mm. network. Um, and you keep doing those things in, you know, you, you you'll do great and i i think you know my heart and my desire is that people have the space to be themselves they're the most authentic purest excellent selves and they're not shackled by social or institutional um biases and prejudices that they can be themselves you know because that's what we want we want we and and that's what builds our economy is is where you put the right people in the right places and they use their god-given talents and skills to 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 be more productive and that's what we want um so yeah that's that's what i would say
0: Thank you. I felt like you spoke to me there as well, so that's why I'm just taking it all in. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Appreciate Absolute it. Pleasure being here. Um, I'm glad that you feel that. you feel that way as yeah, well, of and um, for those that have listened, watched, thank you. I'm looking up, but I need to be looking at her at, over there. So thank I
2: have you not so much. It's okay. It's fine.
0: It's fine. Thank you so much for just tuning in. Um, connecting with this episode share it with anyone that you think is going to be really beneficial um, anyone that can learn from this as well and remember the Black Crate Connect community is there so feel free to join us we're at 600 now on WhatsApp um, it's very very busy so when you request to join just know it's, it's a busy loving network and we have events coming up so subscribe all the rest of it and I will see you all on the next Black Crate Connect podcast episode I'll leave all the details for Toby so you can connect with him in the bio um, and yeah Thank you for listening. Take care. Bye.